G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we talk about the global spread of COVID-19 and without an effective vaccine, we are all still at risk. And what of the dilemma being faced by our governments balancing the health protection of older Australians, you could say all Australians, with the economic threats to potential patients or the unemployed, the underemployed, hibernating or bankrupt business owners, even refugees. Well, it's being debated now how to balance life and livelihood. And while we're all celebrating the idea that the states around Australia have been flattening the curve The possibility of a second wave can never be far from those who are making decisions, strategizing and planning. A conversation today about just how hard it is for our medical community and for political leaders to navigate who lives and who dies when there is a pandemic. And if we happen to dodge a bullet this time, what about preparedness for the next time there is a pandemic? Well, we're going to talk through some pretty significant issues today and I'll invite you to join in our conversation. Very shortly, we'll open our talkback lines on 1-800-316-316. You might agree or you might disagree. You're allowed to have an alternative view. Uh, You can call us and be part of our talkback conversation. There's also online a Facebook question on our Facebook page and you might like to respond there. uh, Which is most important, life or livelihood? You can vote on either one and look, it's not easy and there are no necessarily right or wrong answers because you can get in a little deeper into this issue and talk about life being lost on the livelihood side. So uh, you can respond there with your vote and also an opportunity to make a comment about why you voted the way that you did. Our special guest through this hour, the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest. Gordon is Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance's Centre for Christianity and Society. He's also Chair of the Melbourne Anglican Social Responsibilities Committee. He's great when it comes around issues of ethics. He's just finished an article entitled, Lovers in a Dangerous Time, and he's joining us uh, through this next hour. Uh, Gordon Priest, welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Good to be with you again. Gordon, uh, on the line with you from Melbourne today, it's a little chilly down your way. Yeah, beautiful and sunny, but um, I think it's a max of about um, 17 today, and uh, yeah, I think it was about 9 when I got up, so uh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, I've got to say, I'm in Brisbane, and it's a beautiful day here, I've got to say. And for those who are in cooler areas around the nation, uh, you'll uh, you'll empathise with Gordon, and uh, you might be jealous of what we're experiencing here in Brisbane. Hey, Gordon, this is a really, really uh, interesting and deep topic to get into today, and I imagine that perhaps 
the likelihood is that most of the listeners to our conversation today might not be thinking in the same depth that you've been talking when it comes to issues around the ethics of who does what and whose lives are won, whose lives are lost. But the interesting way I hope we can start our conversation today is that academics all around the country, in fact all around the world, are beginning to put their thoughts on paper and people are starting to discern what's right and wrong with those. The idea that atheists are pushing their godless agendas in a time like this of global pandemic and they are pushing their own barrow, they have their own thoughts uh, because as Christian believers uh, we have a different way of thinking about life and death uh, what are your thoughts for the fact that uh, there are an awful lot of academics right now pushing their own agenda? Well, I think um, one of the ways in this, which this happens is through emergency ethics. So when you're in an emergency situation, people often use that as a kind of wedge through which they bring in things like triage thinking. Like if we, um, every time we go to an emergency room, there's usually a a nurse or medical person who basically puts people into some sort of list in terms of um, need levels and the urgency of treatment for them. And uh, that, on that depends whether you're waiting an hour or two or whether you get in instantly, etc. And and most of us um, wouldn't object to that in, um, in, in most situations. We'd recognise that certain people have priorities. Someone's having a heart attack, they ought to get in um, when, you know, we've, even if we've got a broken leg in some ways, they, they would have the priority because um, we might be in pain, but they're in an absolutely life-threatening situation. And um, a lot of that comes out of scarcity situations and the big... So you get extreme sort of emergencies like, say, Italy at the moment, New York, uh, where the medical systems are completely overrun. Now, we're very fortunate. The government here has done a very good job, really. And I should say the whole sort of national cabinet and the sense of cooperation um, that we have uh, so that we haven't reached that. But certainly there was, there was a fear that that would actually happen and we'd be short of equipment and we'd have to make very hard choices. I think my concern is that we don't allow a form of thinking that just uses people as a kind of means to an end or a means to a social end rather than, say, in the medical situation. I think doctors have to primarily put their patient first, that they take an oath to do no harm, and that goes back to Hippocrates in about the 3rd century BC, I think, and, um, and is also informed strongly by a Christian view that all people are made in the image of God. So that while we may have certain difficult emergency situation choices to make, and you do have to do some triage sometimes, that um, ultimately when we get back to normality, we really need to kind of not allow some of those if you like, ethical compromises or hard decisions to basically dilute our normal ways of operating and the normal ways that we've learned through the centuries from Christian ways of thinking and, and some of the best from, you know, like an ancient Greek, like Hippocrates, for instance. Um, it's still related to the basic vow that um, medical people do. So I want to kind of... Um, I think the image of drawing the line... 
Um, there is a time for drawing a line when you have to do that. But I think when we, as we come out of this, we need to be careful about that we're not drawing lines that permanently exclude some people, whether it's the aged or the young. And we could talk about a lot of other categories um, along those lines. So if we're talking about how, as a Christian thinker on these sorts of issues, compared with the idea of some who might be even classed in the atheist community, uh, thinking differently about who's valuable, we're talking about the old and the young here. Uh, The idea that if uh, there is a choice between taking the life of that person who's in their 80s and uh, and withholding treatment for that person who's in their 40s. This is the sort of thing that you really began to respond to when you started to write down your own thoughts about uh, about how these sorts of ethical things work out. Yes, um, there's a thing in medicine which they call qualies, which is uh, quality of life years. And they kind of um, do sums, rough sums, but sums kind of based on that. Now... Um, in, in many ways, in social policy, people do that anyway. A lot of, a lot of things are not, um, you know, you weigh up risks in all sorts of ways. Like if we were, if we were going to say we completely, um, if, if we don't want to take any risks about people's lives, then we would ban cars completely, for instance. But because there are benefits, and this is where later on we can bring in the livelihood issue, um, we decide on, well, what's a reasonable risk in order to ensure that people have freedom of mobility, et cetera, et cetera, and there's benefits of being able to get around and all of that. And so the same, um, the same thing goes on with regard to, to medical issues. And I think uh, there still needs to be that thing where there's a kind of covenant between um, doctors, nurses, and their particular patients. But when it comes to the hard decisions, then they've got to stick up primarily for their patients. Um, that that person is an individual and does this treatment, does it have good prospects of benefit for those those people? Or as in scripture, it does says that you know it does say in Ecclesiastes there is a time to die, and and sometimes you'd be throwing everything by the kitchen sink at, at somebody. And really, the the primary spiritual need is in some ways basically coming to you know being able to die in peace and come to terms with that. But those decisions are quite difficult and they need to involve the person themselves particularly, but families um, and a kind of wider um, medical um, and hospital sort of group who would make some of those decisions about resource allocations. But we've, we've still got to be careful that we don't get into that sort of scarcity thinking and emergency thinking that ends up excluding some people permanently in some categories again whether it's old or young or whether it's a young unemployed so the 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 comeback at the moment and it's and it raises an important issue is that a lot of the price for what has gone on in the lockdown is being felt by younger people the people in the gig economy their uh, young students whose education has been disrupted and uh the yeah the 20s the millennials and and others who've uh, lost jobs um, uh, within my own family, there's also loss of business, and uh, that's been a, a, a big thing that uh, that we've, we're kind of having a battle. Um, one of my children to try and keep their business going. Let's let's just them. unpack this a, a little more here, because if we talk about uh, issues of health and of those who are 
valuable to live and uh, you know I think you can hear where I'm coming from here as to uh, how those challenges are that where when you are in the triage situation making those sorts of decisions let's bring in this other dimension here that you've begun to just uh, begin to unpack here this idea of emergency thinking in the triage well there's emergency thinking when it comes to the economy as well and uh, there are going to be as we move towards a uh, you know a return to normal pressure that is going to come on the government to get the government back to full speed and the risk there that there'll be this emergency thinking when it comes to the economic recovery as well, which means shortcuts and pressure from big business to put profits ahead of the national well-being. What are your thoughts around this other side of the equation, the economic? Well, I think, um, yeah, the economic um, drives a lot of things and we need it. Um, it's, it's a necessity for our, for our lives, but it's not sufficient. And so what we have to work out is how do we have enough of an economy and a well-functioning economy that makes room for the bigger things in life, like relationships and people being able to, well, to have a, to have a home, for instance. Um, if, we, if we have a whole generation of younger people who can no longer afford to buy homes and, uh, or to rent homes in many cases then what does that say about our community? What does it say about the importance of relationships? What does it say about stability of relationships if uh, you're either on the streets or if you're having to change um, your rental apartment um, constantly and, or, if you're, or if you're thinking about uh, marriage and family but um, are, are unable to basically... Um, you know, take on that responsibility of really putting a roof over their heads. You're, you're not in a position where you can do that. You're not in a position where you can get a mortgage, for instance. I think it raises a lot of issues about our relational and community health. And, and scripturally, I think those things are regarded as, as key things. They're, they're primary expressions of what it means to be made in the image of God as male and, and female, old and young, um, black and yellow and white, etc., etc. And I imagine that, that if we're exploring the idea that there is death on both sides, uh, if you make the wrong decisions mm-hmm. on the health sides, there's death. If you make mm-hmm. the wrong decisions on the economic side and you have people spiralling out of control into depths of depression, uh, mm-hmm. committing suicide, uh, domestic violence, family breakdown, all of these things, there is a risk on both sides. And it's like there's a no-win situation here. Yeah, I think, um, yeah. The, and and the, the problem in that, in that kind of situation is you end up with a winners or losers um, kind of situation and um, decisions get made in that way that we've got to draw a line. So whether it's in the emergency room of the hospital and it's, let's say, ICU, in particular intensive care and access to ventilators, and only a certain number can get that, so um, you've got to draw a line there. And um, that, may, that may be justifiable in an emergency situation, but you make that a standard practice and, um, and you drop the accountability and the examination of that particular practice, and it just becomes a, a sort of second nature to think in that way, then we turn um, people into a means and not an end um, in, in themselves or in, 
in the eyes of God and in the eyes of, of others to be, treat them as ends in themselves. And I think the same thing happens economically. And uh, the yeah, big danger is that we draw a line and uh, certain whole categories uh, basically fall under that line. And I think we are in danger of doing that. I think there are many ways. Look, I'm a senior myself, and um, and my wife actually has several categories that she falls into in terms of COVID uh, risk. So we're being very careful about about her not being exposed in in any way. Um, but we're fortunate; we're reasonably well off, and so we can we've got good accommodation, and we can keep social distancing and all of that. The big issue today in the world is that a lot of the countries important from Australia, a lot of countries they people are, are cheek by jowl, they do their business in unhygienic places, it's the only way they can survive and we need to really think about our Christian brothers and sisters worldwide as, as, as well um, to, to take it to another whole, um, another whole level and if you think of Indonesia or Africa or India and places, places like that. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective 2020 on Vision. You can join in our conversation on 1-800-316-316 and our special guest, the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest, who's Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance's Centre for Christianity and Society, is also Senior Minister at Yarravel Anglican Parish in Melbourne and he's an award-winning author, editor of 13 books and the Zadok Perspectives Equip and Engage Ethical Email. Just to mention here, uh, Gordon, uh, that, uh, that when you're looking for Christian perspectives on, and not everybody agrees with every perspective that a Christian might come up with, but uh, looking for Christian perspectives, uh, there are those perspectives, uh, in-depth academic thought that's being around these issues that you can actually a- access. And uh, I'd point people to the Ethos website, ethos.org.au. Uh, from your position, uh, Gordon, you know how many uh, Christian leaders, academics, are engaging with these sorts of issues we're talking about today? Look, I, I think there are actually quite a lot, but the trouble is it doesn't necessarily filter down um, um, all the way like, into churches or into um, uh, like I think you do a good good job with a program like like yours, but it's not getting out there into the wider um, areas. I think the the Centre for Public Christianity does a really good job, um, Sydney-based, but it, it's with an Australia-wide focus, and they do get um, more media access than than most. But I think we really need to think about ways in which we can put it into Christian insights into accessible language and get it out there um, into the kind of broader conversation about what is wisdom and I think that it's good to use that term. What is what is wisdom for the kinds of hard or uh, wicked questions um, that we face today? And uh, how do we draw on the the wisdom going back through the centuries? And don't try and redraw the wheel. I think there's way too much of that, and that's that's part of the emergency thinking problem. We think, oh, quick, quick, we've got to make our minds up about this, and and. We, something which is a kind of nike way of, of thinking well in nike ways of thinking you know just do it well you have you have winners nike was a greek goddess of, of victory and you have losers and i think that's um that's exactly going in the wrong direction what we've got to do is try and draw on the very best of thinking going back for the last you know 
at least 2,000, but several thousand years, and try and apply that and, uh, and not think that they, people haven't thought about these things. There have been plagues right through the centuries. Christians basically were the first out onto the sort of the, um, the rubbish dumps when children were being, you know, particularly female children, were just dumped um, out there and left to die. And, and Christians went out and um, risked infection from the plagues. They set up the first hospitals through the monasteries. And we ought to be engaged in that. And, and we are still doing a lot of that. But a lot of people don't actually realise a lot of that is Christian. You know, about 20-something of the top 25 social welfare agencies in the country are Christian. Yes, uh, you identify a very important point here. Uh, if you've got Christian commentary, you've got to find some way of getting that commentary elevated and into uh, the hearts and minds of people. And uh, that does take media being open to uh, to be able to report your cause. Uh, let's talk some more along this line of emergency thinking. We talked about the health aspects, what happens in the triage, uh, who's making the decisions there. Emergency thinking applies. Uh, same with the economic uh, return to the new normal. Uh, there's economic emergency thinking, and somehow or rather there has to be some sort of a sunset clause on that, and then things have to get back to what we think of as normal. Let's talk politics here for a few moments because it does appear the government has its own emergency tactic here, uh, which we didn't vote for, but it's the national cabinet. And a lot of people are saying that is actually, uh, you know, isn't it wonderful that all the different states, uh, territories and chief ministers are meeting together and uh, they're all around the one table. But that's not necessarily what we voted for. What are your thoughts when it comes to the emergency thinking that's happening with our governments right now? Well, I, I think um, what's been done so far has been very good and um, that they have um, cooperated well. Um, there's been a certain amount of liberty for states over against the, the federal government. That's like a bit of confusion at times and, uh, and also um, particularly with the Border Force New South Wales Health um, kerfuffle um, issue where basically that... Um, the um, what was it? The princess. Um, uh, the, yep, the the, di- the diamond uh, ruby princess. Ruby princess, thanks. The ruby princess um, came in. Basically, that gave us ten percent of our cases, and uh, and at least ten percent of the deaths, possibly more of the deaths, um, when that came in um, through a kind of, if you like, federal state kind of dispute or or stuff up, and. So I think um, you know there are, there are problems like that, but um, most of us, a lot of us at least, are doing um, Zoom conferences and others um, online, keeping our workplaces going wherever possible. Um, why isn't our government able to do that? And I think now is the time when a shift is to take place so that we can start to have democratic differences and deliberation about the future. And it needs to be, these are very big questions about not just emergencies, but about the character of our nation. And so that's where I think, um, rather than talking about virtue, which is a more philosophical and Christian term, I tend to talk about things like it's a middle term about character, character of institutions, character of individuals, um, a char- the character of a business in a sense. And how, what kind of character do we want for our nation going forward because we're living in a very very different time now and I think that's and and it's not just a back to normal 
because I think this has shown up some of the sort of the fissures, the cracks in our social fabric and our social contract uh, with each other. And so we need to make sure we have proper democratic representation for all of those people uh, about whom decisions are actually going to be made. So you're calling that almost a blind spot in our national character, that all of a sudden, while we've got emergency thinking on health, emergency thinking on business, emergency thinking on our politics, that somehow or other we need to correct that. So when uh, the next hard time comes, we'll be able to get things right because we'll have a, a firm foundation in place. The thinking's already been done. We know how to respond in the emergency. Gordon, just before we move into some of the deeper issues around our conversation today, uh, there is a certain sense we've just come through Easter, we've just come through Anzac Day, and there's something special about Easter and Anzac Day, especially for those who are listening to us who have a deep faith, because something of our character is shaped uh, by what we understand of the death and resurrection of Christ, uh, shaped by the understanding of, of what we think about Anzac Day, even uh, laying down our lives for our friends. Uh, we've just come through those. What are your thoughts around how, when we talk about national character, some of these things actually do actually give us something of national character? Yeah, they do. Um, and I think they, they help shape the story um, because you find, you find character from your story and your history. And I think we need to go right back in our history basically to things like Good, Good Friday, from to which that uh, verse that you quoted, um, um, which is used a lot in Anzac services, for instance. Um, and we need to see what's the, what's the source, uh, the never-ending stream for compassion in our society. Societies basically had very little compassion. It wasn't a virtue, really, in, amongst the Greeks, um, just as humility wasn't. And um, it, it was a Christian virtue that came through the cross of Christ. And it was something that wasn't confined to family or just your own nationality, but, um, but for all people, uh, even your enemies. That's a completely Christian innovation um, that came from the cross of Christ. So you have that kind of thing flowing through in some ways into, um, as well as obviously the resurrection and dawn services in Anzac. So we've got, um, yeah, quotations, um, the idea of lest we forget, that goes back to Deuteronomy, and um, a whole range of different aspects of the uh, Anzac service actually go back to Christian sources, particularly uh, there was, a, I think, a, a Brisbane Anglican um, who had a big uh, part, a part to play in that, and particularly a Sydney Anglican, both of whom were chaplains in the First World War, who shaped the origins of the Anzac services. And, and also things like dawn services, just like we often have um, Easter, Easter dawn services, where you have the symbolism of going from darkness into light, and that's a resurrection kind of, kind of symbolism. So how can we as a society connect with those things that have shaped the, the character of our institutions, some of our, rit our rituals, and how can we as Christians uh, reconnect and remind our society of the basic Christian origins of some of those particular um, aspects that we celebrate. Well, important here, I think, that we're still writing 
the story of our national character because there is a thought uh, in a secular society that somehow or other when Christians have a contribution to make to a debate around national character that somehow or other there's some form of sentimental throwback that gives some meaning when there is a crisis. But uh, this idea of being proactive on the front foot, uh, being involved in the debate, being involved in the influence of how the national character story is continuing to be written, these things are an important aspect for Christians today, Gordon. Yeah, and they, they are the things that actually um, can guide us when we face emergencies. And rather than just starting from scratch and a blank piece of sheet of paper, we draw on um, the history of, of thinking based around those kinds of things. And uh, like I say, virtues or character like compassion, like humility, and before God and, and in relationship to others as well and they can flow through the national narrative and help inspire some of our professional practices for instance and our economic policies as well so that no one's left behind we don't draw the line in ways that uh, leave uh, certain categories of society the most vulnerable um, out and so i think um, it's it's critical that we go back and have that broader kind of sharing of stories and, and, and the, the thing I think that's interesting in a multicultural and multi-religious um, faith, it's a lot easier to have those discussions with people of other faiths than it often is with people who are, who are hardline uh, secularists in the sense of wanting to um, banish religion um, from the public conversation. And uh, so I think as a properly multicultural, a deep multicultural society, we'll always talk about religion because worldwide religion is growing. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Wayne in Mackay in Queensland. Hello, Wayne. Welcome along. Yeah, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm a Christian. Yep. Um, when this all this stuff first started, I I thought, oh yeah, this is like any other flu. It'll it'll go away. But then when I started to look at the tally and all that was going on, I thought, wow, this is really worse than what I, I thought, like a lot of other people mostly thought the same way. And um, and then later on I seen this thing from a, a Christian man that he posted, went for about half an hour, and it and it spoke about, and you, I hope you don't cut me off here because I'm only saying what I heard, was that um, it's got nothing to do with the coronavirus but to do with the G5, the aerials, and they reckon that the only places that's not experiencing the, the coronavirus is, um, which the name they put to it, is Russia because they haven't got the G5 there. And it just makes me think, well, if this is true, and I'm really happy with our government, I reckon the Prime Minister's doing a fantastic job. It's all about people, not about money for a change. But when you look at the other side, if it's got anything to do with the G5 that's causing all the radiation to go through and people are picking that up, which we spoke about... Um, it just seems that there's not, there's still not full honesty to the people to let them know what's going on. Wayne, you're raising an interesting point because when we start to uh, hear of uh, things that we could 
uh, even say are in the category of conspiracy theories, uh, then we actually could open up probably a whole lot of conspiracy theories here. And I think there's another conspiracy theory to this idea that somehow or other this is, you know, a virus that's there to get rid of the elderly uh, population. I mean, those sorts of things uh, can begin to disseminate around the world and uh, rumours spread very quickly. Uh, Gordon, what are your thoughts for Wayne? Uh, you know, is there relevance to thinking about what happens in a global world order and uh, other conspiracy theories that might be also in the in the way people are thinking? Well, thanks, Wayne. Um, look, I think um, it raises issues about basic issues about trust and evidence, and how do we know things? And um, none of us is across every issue, so we we always take certain things on trust and from experts, etc., etc. I think um, the main things I'd, I'd want to say is, first of all, if it's a choice between a conspiracy and a stuff-up, it'll 90... Excuse the language, but um, 95% of the time, it's a stuff-up. And, and in this case, it's all the evidence um, seems to point to a stuff-up in China that took place and and um, challenges that we face where human beings are infringing on animal habitats increasingly and in wet markets and things like that and where there's live animals and and those um, those conflicts are likely to lead to more pandemics and um, and particularly in coming from poorer kind of kind of areas and I think basically um, we need to be fairly careful about the conspiracy um, side of things and that and really take seriously um, what the experts are saying about it, the global kind of consensus about it and also the um, the evidence while, while also recognizing there's some disagreement about, about some aspects of it but in general that's um, the yeah the overall scientific evidence um, of what we're facing at this time. Wayne, thank you so much for your call. Interestingly, though, just to follow on from here, yes, relevant to say that it's a, a stuff-up, as you say, so far as the wet markets in China, and that's where the evidence seems to point. But when there is a crisis, when there is an emergency, then when there is manoeuvring that's coming from nations and not always nations that have the best interests of their fellow neighbours at hand, then there are a lot of who are trying to cash in on the idea of uh, of gaining ground here. And people are pointing at China right now in those in those regards. Look, I think um, I think the uh, the government, the Australian government, um, as a kind of middle power, um, but that has handled the crisis really well, has has done well to try and raise the issue of some kind of inquiry. But I think it has to be a, a, a proper global inquiry that includes various. It includes, you know, there'll be critique of China that would come out of that, but also of the U.S. To be to be frank, um, the U.S. is rapidly forfeiting its role. Um, as a kind of leader of the, of the free world at the moment, um, because of some of these kinds of theories and that, and that the president is spouting these, and rather than letting the people who actually know about it get on with the job, and um, you know we we love the U.S., we love New York, and we we feel um, you know just absolutely sad about it. Um, I have global phone conferences with people in the U.S. and the Theology Work Project, and and some living in New York, and we were in New York just two years ago, and it's absolutely tragic what's happening. So I think we need to all learn from each other 
um, because it operates in different ways, this disease, in different sorts of contexts and different seasons even. And so we need to be doing a lot of, having a lot of conversation if we're going to prevent um, future pandemics. We need to really work together on that and there'll need to be a lot of kind of accountability um, at the global level. And I think Australia's doing a good, um, a good job in trying to raise those issues at the moment. Let's reflect on a Facebook comment or two. Carolyn says, life is more important than you... Uh, life, is, life is more important. You can always restore your livelihood or another livelihood accordingly. If you are not alive, then there will be no livelihood. Uh, remember that question that uh, we're mm-hmm. asking on yep. Facebook is yep. around... Uh, uh, is around that issue, life or livelihood. Uh, Mike says, uh, Luke twelve twenty three. then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storehouse or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And Sarah says, you can't live without an income unless you are living off others. Uh, a few comments there. I don't know whether anything caught your attention. Uh, but any, uh, any thoughts for any of those, uh, Gordon? Well, they're, they're great comments. Uh, I think I would say um, it's a bit like, do you work to live or live to work? And um, work and livelihood is, is an important part, but not the whole of our lives. And, um, and it's to help support ourselves and our relationships um, and not to be a burden on others, um, because it was mentioned that, you know, that we do need to seek to support ourselves, but um, some people are in better positions than others to be able to do that. I think uh, we need to bear each other's burdens as well, be it on the biblical passage from Galatians 5. The Luke 12 one, I think, is great, um, because um, we, we don't worship life um, in itself. Um, and in the end, uh, you know, we... You know, Christians have a tradition of martyrs, even, and that uh, the life of Christ comes first, and worshiping uh, God comes first through Christ, and Christ is the source of abundant life, and so that's why Christians are willing, um, because of the Easter faith, because of a faith in the resurrection, we are willing to risk ourselves in going out and um, you know getting people off the, the where the plagues are, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, getting the babies off the um, the rubbish dumps that they've been dumped to, and we're also we're given a, a faith that and a, a hope for the body, for the resurrection of the body through Christ, that enables us to treat other people's bodies now, whether they're young or old, whether they're ugly or beautiful, to um, really treat them with great respect. And that's the kind of thing that we need to look at if we're going to make right decisions, I think, coming forward. Brings us to an important point of what to expect in coming days, because we talk about emergency thinking when it comes to how doctors are dealing with the triage situation around the world. Uh, Not as much here in Australia, but it could be a second wave. Uh, Then we talked about politics and we talked about the economics and uh, how we get back to what we think of as normal. But let's talk about Christians for a few moments here as you've begun to touch on uh, Gordon the idea that we talk about a national character 
And if we have our Christian faith shaping our character, at least of those who can maintain a Christian faith, we hope that that overflows into the broader national character. And when it comes to the formation of community that we have, dealing with the chronic issues that will be ongoing as we start to emerge from the crisis, what are your thoughts about how our Christianity has a big role to play into the days to come? Well, I think um, hopefully we really uh, missed not being able to meet together um, in a bodily way in, um, because I think we really do need that as, as Christians and as, and as people. And um, for, for all the great things I think people have been doing with their Zooming, etc., cetera, et cetera, and I've been doing that um, online um, with our local church that uh, has been doing a really good job on, on that, um, for all of that, I think, and we should probably keep a fair bit of that up, but hopefully it won't stop people getting back and meeting together with each other. And I've seen lots of references. I can't wait to hug people, etc., etc. And people are saying those sorts of things. And um, but also, I think um, there's a little formula I've often used by a guy called Nays, but who's a futurologist. He he said for every high tech invention, there is a high touch reaction, and that's because we're we're whole people. And so I think as whole people, we need Christians, we need to care for whole people in all their dimensions. We need to care for their bodily and physical health, their economic health, and, um, and we need to offer the hope of, of eternal life in Christ through the hope of the resurrection. And that's kind of retroactive, the hope of the resurrection. It, it comes back with power and, and energy, and we want to really share that with people and, and give them hope. And I think the conversation about hope is one that really needs to be there, particularly for the younger generation. Um, my family's been involved in a lot of work in the relationship to mental health areas. And, um, and I think the, she talk, my wife talks about um, holding the hope for people. I'd like to see that we might um, hold the hope for our nation as well, and particularly the younger generations at this time but also those older generations who may have felt a considerable fear about their own um, lives, and particularly when they've been lonely and often locked up. Um, that's when you can fear can overwhelm you. Interestingly for us Christians and those who might have been a part of church life for many years, there is a developing wholeness that is within us. I mean, you know, there is a supernatural wholeness that we have from God, but we're on this journey, aren't we? A growth, uh, we call it, uh, you know, being sanctified, this idea of growing in wholeness. But And we might think that while we're growing over many years, and for some growing over decades, and that wholeness is is being birthed in us, uh, somehow or other when the crisis comes and when the community needs us, the community that isn't, experiencing the same wholeness that we are, that we have something really substantial to be able to offer because there are different dimensions to our humanity. And as Christians, we say we've got the goods here. So uh, we actually find ourselves in a place of strength to be a a tremendous influence for people whose lives are, in some sense, uh, crumbling around them, whether that's their business or their health or their family. Uh, Big things there we've got to offer here, Gordon. Yeah, um, look, I thought earlier on when you talked about, um, when we talked about sort of physical death, there's also in some ways economic death and, you know, death of businesses and things like that. And we, as I said, have been dealing with you know, that potential threat um, with one member of our family and um, who's trying to deal with that uh, heroically. 
And, you know, how do we get behind? How do we put our resources behind people in those situations? And, um, again, I think we have... we to join the two things together about the body and the hope. You know, we have a holistic hope for people for every dimension of their lives and also from womb to tomb. And, and that God knows us. And, and Jesus came and it said he knew what was in man or in humanity. He experienced it. And there isn't a trial or a temptation that is beyond him that he has not experienced. And therefore, we can take everything to him. You know, we can take everything to God in prayer. And and we ought to be interceding for the world um, at this time. And um, like Jesus, you know, in the garden just before, um, you know, when he when he sweat drops of blood at the thought of the cross, and yet finally submitted and and decided that he would would um, go through that um, when there was clear there was no other way, um, and and did that for us. And I think we need to watch and and uh, wait and pray over a suffering world and then um, get out there um, into the community and seek the shalom of the city, um, as Jeremiah says in, in chapter 29, to seek the, the shalom and the welfare of, of all the people in, in our cities. And that in, and I mean, and include country too as, as well, um, because that's one of the splits and divides too in our society, the, the, the city-country a powerful thought that the suffering is likely to increase and so it is a time to be ready uh, running out of time gordon a quick response here we asked the facebook question which is more important life or livelihood uh, we had one response from james who said when i was doing my first aid the question was asked what do you do if you are at a car wreck the person possibly has a back injury and the car catches on fire do you pull them out risking paralysation? The answer was life over quality of life. Now, that's an interesting response to our question, which is more important, life or livelihood. Uh, just as we wrap things up, any thoughts on, on uh, you know, I think we've talked through a whole bunch of issues when yeah. it comes to this balance, but and it's not easy to even sum up here. But uh, any thoughts just finally, perhaps even for well, James who wrote an that point? Well, example. I think, you know, pulling the person out you've still got to do that and um um and that's probably that was the, the right decision but then um you know sometimes i think um we don't yeah look at the holistic dimensions of then let's say if the person's um is paralyzed or whatever how do we get across the messages that they are still a fully a person um how are they encouraged what supports there are how do we um with the resurrection hope of the resurrection of the body how we um, communicate that hope to them um, in in a difficult situation, and there are lots of people in that society at the moment who are in in some ways similar difficult situations. Well, the substance of our faith is becoming stronger every moment that the uh, issues deepen and as the suffering, as we've been saying, is likely to worsen. Our guest has been the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest. He's Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance's Centre for Christianity and Society. Uh, Gordon, an article that you've just written, which is called Lovers in a Dangerous Time. Now, that's an interesting uh, title for a very uh, deep and academic work that you've uh, begun to address some of these issues a Christian response even to what atheists are suggesting with regards to the way we go. If people want to get a hold of that, where's the best place to be able to download a copy of that paper you've written? 
Um, that one's going to be coming out in print, um, uh, but we do have a bun- whole bunch of things on, um, well, on my Facebook, um, if you just put my name in, you know, Gordon Priest, P-R-E-E-C-E, you can get hold of things that we produce and put up um, virtually every day, and um, go to our website, www.ethos.org.au, and there's a bunch of articles as well. Um, a lot that are looking at issues of um, like the pandemic, etc. Trying to look at it through Easter eyes, if you like. Okay, ethos.org.au. You can find Gordon Priest, P-R-E-E-C-E, on Facebook. And uh, keep an eye out because it's not quite out yet. We're previewing what is coming with this article called Lovers in a Dangerous Time. Uh, Gordon Priest is... can be gotten through the website, um, through the... Via yeah, Ethos. Um, and Zadok Perspectives is what the, the name of that publication. And there's also um, Equip Magazine. Okay, Zadok Perspectives, Equip Magazine. Uh, Gordon Priest, Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance's Centre for Christianity and Society, also the Chair of the Melbourne Anglican Social Responsibilities Committee. Gordon, just appreciate your insights once again today. Uh, Thanks so much for being with us on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.